Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at cclo.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. Amen. Good morning. How are you guys? <laughs> Not bad for a young sport. Oh, my. So glad that you guys are here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Jude. We're going to finish out this chapter today. Um, and if ever, you know, I'm kind of a, a boomer in this. I, I prefer a paper Bible, so I'm not trying to speak against any of our digital Gen Z and millennial. I don't even know what they are anymore. Um, but my wife came in yesterday and was telling me about a story where a mom was, uh, you know, just looking at the amount of screen time that her kid was on uh, his phone. And that's a good thing for a mom to do. And it said that her son was on his Bible app for like four to six hours average of a day. Like, rock on, mom. Like, way to disciple your kid. Isn't that awesome to hear and see? Uh, And then they figured out uh, that they were sending uh, inappropriate photos through the Bible app. Is that not crazy? And so she comes in, she's like, isn't that just, like, can you believe that? And it's like, knowing our world, absolutely. Like, I was a middle school boy once. Like, I could understand that. But it's, you know, if ever is God's word under attack, that even, you know, something like the Bible app that was meant to be for something so good and bring, up, bring about eternal impact, you know, that's us as depraved humans and, and fallen hearts that we will try to take and use anything that we can to do evil, horrible things with it. And so if you have a Bible, you could turn to it, and you can't turn, you can't send photos through this one, right? You can't do that. So I like that. So if you want to open up to the book of Jude, it's right before Revelation, and we are jumping in at verse 17. If you remember, Jude was writing to the churches. So this is an in-house, we are having a family conversation, right? So he is talking to believers, but it's not the letter he wanted to write. He wanted to talk about our common salvation. He wanted to write a really encouraging letter, and instead he had to write this letter. And so you're probably thinking, like, how the last uh, couple weeks have gone in Jude. You know, I've gotten a few text messages like, hey, that sermon, that hurt, needed, but it hurts a little bit. Thank you for that. And and now we're ending the letter. And because he wanted to write about our common salvation, but he spoke about these certain people that were in the church. And what I, I want to say is I don't think I'm so naive to think that there's not certain people like that in the church today. Maybe not in this service. I've scanned the room a couple times. I feel safe, so we're good, right? But first or third service, we don't know about them sinners, right? We're praying for them. We don't know. But we can't be naive that there's not certain people like this in the church, period. Because it's an attack is always more destructive from the inside than it is from the outside. In the same way that even the attack that people are using the Bible app to bring about depravity, that is an attack from the inside, not an attack from the outside. And so Jude is warning us. And so he starts in verse 17. He says, but you must remember. So he's been talking about these certain people. But you must remember beloved. And remember, the word beloved means those that are personally experiencing the love of God. 
right? So he is talking to believers. Understanding the intended audience is very key in understanding Scripture. So you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, in praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. And I love this part. Before all time, now, and forever. Amen. And so Jude starts... And he gives us kind of a last description of these certain people, just like a couple more like, hey, before I go, just a couple key things that I want you to see about them so we don't lose sight. And he calls them scoffers, ungodly. Uh, They're following after ungodly passions. They cause divisions. They're worldly people devoid of the spirit. And if you go back up to verse 16, which we read last week, they're grumblers and they're malcontents. They're following their own sinful desires. They're loud mouth boasters and they show favoritism to gain advantage. See, a lot of these words revolve around what's coming out of their mouth. So it wasn't a look around and see if you can see these certain people. Just close your eyes and listen to what they say and you will find they're not like us. That the... They don't sound too much like sheep. They sound far more like wolves. And that's what gave them away a lot of it. And I think it was a grace that Jude did not name them, right? Because in this, in this culture, when they would write, they would read these letters out loud to the church. I mean, could you imagine being like, hey, Cliff wrote us a letter, and I'm going to read it about the church, and here we go. Hey, there's certain people in your congregation that are, and he starts listing them out. Like a lot of us would start looking kind of down the aisles and looking up the rows and be like, oh, I know who he's talking about. Or then you do the same thing with the disciples. Is it me, Lord? Is it me? It's the one I dip my hand in with that you're going to betray me. No. And so they, there was a grace that he didn't name them. And I think it was for a, an opportunity of repentance. Because at times, Paul would name those. But Jude didn't in this context. Saying, like, I've heard the stories, I've heard, not the rumors, I've heard the reports of what's going on in this church, and it's not good. So much that I couldn't even write the encouraging letter that I wanted to. I had to write the letter that's going to kick you in the teeth instead. But there's grace. But we have to be honest with ourselves. And so even as we've been walking through the descriptions of these certain people, I try to take an opportunity to even look at my own life and say, where am I a scoffer? Where do I run after ungodly passions? Where do I cause divisions among the brothers? Where do I live in such a way that the world would look at me and say, oh, yeah, they're one of us? And I try to pinpoint those in my life and then fill it with the grace and the mercy of Jesus. 
But when you hear this description about them, and it's all revolving around their words, you kind of ask the question, what are they grumbling about? What are they complaining about? What's all the gossip? What's all the scoffing about? What are they, what are they talking about? What are they so upset? You ever look at somebody and wonder that? Like, why are you so upset? Because <laughs> they got my order wrong at Starbucks. That's why I'm so upset. There's all kinds of those videos coming out where people lose their ever-loving mind over fast food. Right? And I want to say they're so depraved, it's like soon enough there, there could be a video of me doing that. Right? Like I know that's it within me that I have to fight against that. But what are they so upset about? Last week we talked about authority. We talked about authority in the home. Remember that, guys? Where we are called to stand in the door of our houses and what we allow in and what we do not allow in. That we are that authority, that biblical authority that God has given us to lead our families. Are we stepping into that? And then we talked about the authority of the government and how it's under attack. And then I said, oh, yeah, the authority of the church, we'll talk about that's another conversation. Welcome to the other conversation. They're complaining about the authority in the church. And maybe not because of this pastor or that pastor, but I think just the position. And sometimes there's people like that, that no matter who stands in the pulpit, we don't like them. Why? Because that's my spiritual gifting, is to keep the pastor on his knees. When I was in seminary, one of my professors told us that. He pastored for 20 years, and then he taught for another 20. And every once in a while, he would stop being a professor, and he would step into that old pastoral role. And he says, hey, when you guys are in ministry, let me, let me give you some tips and tricks here. And he said that. He goes, no matter what church you go to, there will always be a couple people that you will just pray for their blessed subtraction. <laughs> so I'm praying for you guys praying for you. But they need to be shepherded. They need to be loved. Where others want to write them off and send them on down the road. And how many testimonies and stories do we have of friends and family that, oh, I got kicked out of every good church. Well, we don't want to break the streak. No. We're going to love those that are unlovable. But there's always going to be that. And even in here, one of the biggest things that was happening is they're complaining about the authority of the church. Now, we as pastors are called to live above reproach. Absolutely, that is scriptural. But we are not called to live above correction. I have a board that oversees everything that I do in the church and outside of the church. We've talked about that. I have one board member that sees everything that I search on any of my devices, that they have absolute full openness to my life. They ask me, hey, how's your marriage? Are you being a good husband? Because if you're not being a good husband, how in the world are you going to shepherd well the people of God? And they ask me those hard kind of questions. And so, yes, we're called to live above reproach, but we're not called to live above correction. And so what happens when you are struggling with an issue in the church? Is there a biblical, godly way that you can address conflicts in the church? Absolutely. We call it boxing. No. <laughs> I've been to that church. No. There is a proper way to do that. You know, and so last week when I was talking about the authority in the home and one of the greatest things that my wife has ever not done is complain about me to her friends. 
And there for a while, her friends finally kind of caught on, and they said, you know, is Nick just perfect? And she said, yes, yes, he is. <laughs> and that is a woman of God, let me tell you right there, right? No deceit found in her mouth, amen. She said, oh, no, 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 he is far from perfect, but I'll discuss that with him, not you. That was the greatest thing my wife, one of the greatest things my wife has ever done is defend my honor in that way. All I ask you as the authority in this church is to treat me in a similar like manner that if there's ever anything that you are struggling with about who we are and what we are doing and the strategy of ministry, I just ask you to come to me in humility with a goal of unity, because that is biblical, right? We're not gonna divide. There's nothing more that Satan would want than to divide the local body, which I believe the local church is the hope of the world. There's nothing more Satan would love than to divide that, and there's nothing more that would grieve our Lord's heart than to see his bride divided. And so if there is an issue that you want to talk through, absolutely. I will talk with anyone and about anything. My first available appointment is tomorrow at 9 a.m. No joke. And so find me after service, plug it in, we'll go get coffee. But come to me in humility, and I will come to you in humility, both parties. Both parties have unity. We each need to lay down our whatever perceived power, prestige we think we have. We have to lay down our preferences. But there is a godly way to handle conflict. Scripture is very clear on that because the goal is unity, even in the church. Because I think one of the greatest tools Satan loves to do is to get us just fighting with each other. Because if we do that, we're no threat to the broken darkness and fallenness of this world around us. Why? Because we don't like the color of the carpet. I've heard a church divide over that, over the color of the carpet. That's why we have no carpet in here. <laughs> they split over the color of the pews. That's why we don't have pews. We just bought chairs. I even read where one church split because one deacon got a bigger piece of ham than another deacon at the Easter potluck. Like, well, you both are eating the thing that God cursed in the Old Testament, so you both should be thrown out. No. <laughs> we will not have division here. And so if there is any issues, please come and talk to me, and I just ask for the same respect. Don't go to one another. That's not the biblical way to handle that. And my office is open to anyone and everyone. And if it's something that is so much that you feel like you can't continue in fellowship, that would grieve my heart. But I would rather you, hear me, please, I would rather you plug into another church in town, and I know a few of the pastors, that you would grow in your relationship with the Lord than to stay here and let bitterness and anger build up. That does not bring glory and honor to our Savior. And so, yeah, I used to tell my youth group this. I would rather you leave and grow with the Lord than stay here and become apathetic and stagnant because we don't agree. That does not bring the Lord any glory whatsoever. And so come and talk to me, but the attack is in the authority of the church. And these people, we read, they're, they're, devoid, they're devoid of the Spirit. And so we kind of even question, are they even saved? A lot of times we see people like this or we have those questions like, oh, I have this one uncle and, you know, when he was young and then this happened in his life. I don't know. Like, I get that. That's a real question. All we know about these certain people is that there's no fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And a tree is known by their fruits. 
We see that clearly. There's no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control when we read the description that Jude gives us of these certain people and we understand what the different characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit are. They're in conflict. And so hear what Jude is telling us. That the number one thing that brings unity for us as the body is our salvation. And so it absolutely over supersedes our gender. There's neither male nor female. It supersedes our culture. There's no Greek nor Jew, whatever color we may be. We are one body. There is a unity. Why? Because of our faith in Jesus alone. And so these certain people creeping in, are they saved? Are they unsaved? A tree is known by their fruit. But I think it's good to look at the trees that have bad fruit and evaluate ourselves and think, where at times am I close to that? Where is there at times bad fruit in my life? And a lot of times we want to use the word, and we want to use it as binoculars at other people. Oh, well, look at their life. They're not saved. Oh, look at them over there. They're definitely not saved. This is what they're doing. The word of God was meant to be a mirror to our own lives, to look at ourselves and say, where am I lining up with these? Where am I becoming a grumbler and a malcontent? When am I a loudmouth boaster? Where do I show favoritism to gain advantage? Where am I scoffing and causing division? That's a good ministry question to ask yourself. That's, that's a strong step in walking with Jesus. Because what we're asking is, Lord, where in my life do I need you to do a work of grace in me? And sometimes we won't even see it in ourselves. That's why we need good accountability in our lives. That's a, one of the purposes of life group that it's those that love us and care about us that'll point out our failures and our shortcomings, not those that don't like us. See the difference? Oh, it's fun to call it out in people we don't like, right? Ah, oh. but when it's somebody that you love and you care about, the goal is for restoration. The goal is for spiritual growth. The goal is to see spiritual maturity in that person. And we understand what the word says, treat others how you would want to be treated. Actually treat others better than how you would want to be treated. And so we see these certain people that have crept in the church, and we understand attacks on the inside. We understand attacks on the outside. And so how are we to respond as the church? It's kind of how I even titled the message. So what do we do? So what do we do? Like this, this doesn't look very good. Like these people that are in the church and all the different descriptions from the Old Testament and all those kind of poetic words, like this isn't looking good. How do we fight against this? And this is very much a call to arms and a call to action type of sermon. But it'll probably be different weaponry and a different strategy than what you think, right? Last week we talked about vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and we all want to start up the vengeance team here at Calvary, right? And we're all carrying our AKs and ARs and all the other A guns that I don't even know anything about. No, vengeance is the Lord's, not ours. We're called to bring the gospel, not judgment, not wrath. And so he, Jude, is looking at us and he says, but you must remember. He's talking about these people, right? But you, 
the believer, the follower of Jesus, you need to remember, and this is how the Greek puts it, remember the words that have been spoken beforehand. Like we've already talked about this a little bit. There's already been a warning. Like Peter and Paul both gave a little bit of a prophecy that this was going to happen. Don't be shocked by that. Don't be surprised. Understand what the Word of God told you. Understand what the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. These words have been spoken to you before. And so turn to one of the places, 2 Timothy, if you would. It's right after 1 Timothy. It's really neat how the Lord did that. Thank you for the laugh. I appreciate it. 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 3. Paul is writing. He says, for the time is coming. And so John, or Jude, is writing, and he's saying, hey, I think we're kind of there. But Paul says, verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Is there sound teaching in every church in America this morning? It's a question we have to ask. For they, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So whatever they hold to be true, whatever is valuable, whatever their you know, values and purpose of their life, they're going to find teachers that are going to fit to them because they don't want to be called out. I don't want somebody to point out my sin. I don't want somebody to call out the shortcomings and the failures in my life. I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to walk out convicted by the Spirit. No, I want to walk out feeling fluffy and warm. And so we're going to surround ourselves with teachers that are going to preach those kind of messages because then it doesn't hurt. And I get it. I mean, who really wants to be hurt? Like, who woke up this morning and be like, I just hope Nick kicks us right in the gut this morning? There's a few of you sickos that say that. They really are. Right, You text me in the mornings, like you almost kind of are asking if I should, is it worth getting up and out of bed for? Because if I don't walk home with like a gut ache, I don't know if I'm walking in here. Like some of you are kind of weird. But they surround them with people that aren't going to speak truth to them. They're going to line up with their passions. And that word passions is never used in a positive term in this context. And it says, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. Sounds like our culture. Some of you guys are a little bit uh, more mature in age than me. That's the soft way I've been told I have to say it. So I don't offend anybody for calling you old, right? Did you ever think you would have to defend some of the truths that we have to defend today? Did you ever think when you were a young man or a young woman that some of the conversations that we, not on the outside of the church, that's definitely there, but on the inside of the church that we have to defend? Some of these things that we just thought were just like, oh yeah, those are a given. Nobody will ever question that. And then look where our church, not just Calvary, I'm talking about the church, capital C, look where we're at. But we have to understand that these people, they're turning away from the truth. Don't be shocked by that. You know, something my dad taught me when people would come up with a story or they'll say something like, did you hear about, can you believe that, that this happened? And then they tell you the story and it's like, a lot of people are like, oh, I can't believe that. I can. Our heart is wicked and deceitful. And if it is unstrained of depravity and sin, yeah, it can do anything. And we see the absolute brokenness and debauchery that the human heart brings about in our world. So don't be shocked by this. When people turn away from the truth, they don't want to hear that. Anything's possible. You know, you could even use the Bible app. 
to sin, child pornography. Call it what it is. That's the world we live in. Do you ever think that? No, never thought I'd have to, you know, all right, hey, let me see your Bible app. Let me see. Like, I never would have thought that. But here we are. And we have to understand every truth in Scripture, every truth of Scripture has a counterfeit lie present in our culture. Don't be shocked by it. Why? Because the Word of God is absolutely going to be under attack. And so where the Word of God gives us a truth, and we study the Word because we believe it to be the revelation of God, we believe it to be the words of Him, of course we're going to study it, but every time there's a truth of Scripture, there's a counterfeit lie present in our culture, right? So in the beginning, God created the doctrine of creation. We hold to that to be very true. What does our world teach? Oh, we went from the goo to you via the zoo. Evolution from the monkeys. Yay. There's the truth in Scripture, counterfeit lie in our culture. Life, God created man. The counterfeit lie, abortion. My body, my choice. Then you have gender. God created man and woman. He created them. What do we say? Gender's fluid. You can pick your gender. You can even switch. You just feeling like a woman on Tuesday? Feel like a woman on Tuesday. Now, do we hate these people? No. Like, let's be clear on that. Just because we don't agree with some of the beliefs and the truths that are out there, we don't hate those people. But we have to understand that every truth in Scripture is going to have a counterfeit lie in, in our present culture. Marriage is between one man and one woman. That is the biblical definition of marriage. I wouldn't even say biblical. I would say that is the definition of marriage. But it's twisted. It's moved, counterfeit, lie. Now, not even getting into the same-sex marriage context, but there's uh, thruples, there's polyquads, and you can just make up whatever you want. Like, I had to go back through my Hawaiian clothes to make sure I don't have any kind of symbol on it that would be uh, code to somebody else in our broken world. Some of you know where I'm going with this, right? Like, I'm just at Culver's trying to get a cheeseburger, and I just like Hawaiian shirts. But they use a pineapple as a symbol of, oh, they're swingers. No, I just like pineapple shirts, you weirdos. <laughs> Use something else. So now I can't wear Hawaiian shirts anymore, right? That's the counterfeit lie present in our culture. Then there's the doctrine of love. God is love. What do we see in the world? Selfishness. It's all about you and what you want. Don't think about anybody else. Definitely not. And then truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And what's, what's the counterfeit culture lie in our culture? Everything's relative. You have to be tolerant. You have to accept. And they're bold about it. They're very bold about it. Some of the best preachers in our culture are preaching these counterfeit lies. Far more bold, I'm going to say, than sometimes the church is about preaching God's truth. And so that's the call for us. Because if you look back, he's saying that these people, they're moving away from sound teaching. They're not listening to the truth. And so how do we fight against that? Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Don't be an out of season Christian. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so the manner in which we do that matters. 
uh, another passage, I think it's in one of the epistles of Peter, talks about that we're going to handle that with gentleness. We don't just go in there guns a-blazing, but we're going to do it with patience and gentleness. We're going to do it in a way that honors the Lord. So it's not just what we are preaching that matters, but even how we preach, it does matter. But hear the call that Paul is telling us. Preach the word, right? This is the double-edged sword. The word of God is a double-edged sword, not some argument against a lie that we have. We don't have to try to fight the world's counterfeit lies on their grounds. No, we just preach the word. This is the double-edged sword that cuts. But we have to understand, it's not a sword of condemnation, but it's a sword of deliverance. So we don't use the sword, we don't yield the word of God and use it to try to cut people down, but we use it to set captives free. Because there are those that are believing these counterfeit lies, and they have never heard the word of God. They've never heard the truth. And you might think, well, I, what do I do? Honestly, you just open it up and just start reading. Can't go wrong with that. What happens if they ask me a question? Well, if you know the answer, answer it. If you don't, say, that's a great question. I don't know. Let me get back to you. And if only, if only the church had someone that loves to geek out and answer questions, if only, call me, talk to me. I love those kind of questions. That's, that's my wheelhouse that I just love to be in. And so use the sword, not for condemnation, but deliverance to set captives free. And then maybe, just maybe, we could say the same things that Paul said down in verse 7. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Well, how do we keep the faith? Go back to Jude, verse 20. He tells us, because we need to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. And you see the connection to the Word of God. And so we need to build ourselves up in that holy faith. So if you would, go to Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's what we should see in every believer, that we are rooted in Christ. That's past tense, but we are being built up. That's a continual process, that none of us here this morning are perfectly built up in the Lord, that God is still doing a work in and through us that we are still smack dab in the middle of our sanctification, myself included. The Lord is still building me up and establishing me in the faith. But do you see that one line? Just as you were taught. It comes from the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Faith does not come from anything else but the word of God. You can't do this on your own. You can't make it up on your own. No, faith comes from hearing the word of God. So for us to be able to preach the word, to build ourselves up in the word, we need to be students of the word. And I know that sounds weird, like students, like I was horrible at school. Me too. Dead honest. Like my, my two oldest kids are teenagers now, but when they were younger, like I'm talking young, young, they taught, they read better than me. I do not read very well. Like, I'm one of those people that, like, you read a page, and then you get to the end of it, and you have that question, what did I just read? 
And they're like, okay, I got to read it again. And you read it again. And before I can get to the end of it, I'm already in some magical land in my head riding a unicorn on clouds. I'm like, I'm trying to study the word here. Like, what am I doing? Like, I get it. I, I don't like reading. I'm not that great at it. My wife can testify. I did not read any kind of book until I was challenged to start reading the Bible. And then from that, started reading far more. That it was something that God had to do and work in me. I was not a great student. That wasn't my love language, we'll say. I did not love being a student. But that's what the word disciple means. That we are students of Jesus. And if we're going to be students of him and he has his revealed word of God, what do, we, what do you think we should be studying? Because again, what are we what are we attacking back to the world and their lies with? The Word of God. See, we don't need to use other truths. Go with me here, okay? So there's general revelation. There's things that I think are very uh, apparent in general revelation in the creation of the world, right? Like gender, I think that is one that is just male, female. There it is. That's a general revelation. But we're not called to use that. General revelation is not called the sword, Special revelation is called the sword. And so how do we attack and how do we fight back in those? We stand firm for the word of God. We stand firm in his revealed special revelation of his word. And so we need to be building ourselves up in that. And there's not one of us here that is perfectly built up. We all have space and opportunity to grow in our knowledge and our understanding but he's telling us to, to build ourselves up in the most holy faith and then praying in the Holy Spirit. Some of my charismatic brothers right here are gonna get really excited. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Oh, he's talking about tongues. About time this pastor says something about speaking in tongues. Well, I hate to disappoint. I think this passage is used to defend speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues is a non-essential issue to the faith. And so with it, we approach it with liberty, right? So I can, I can hang with brothers that believe that, yes, tongues are for today, and I can hang with brothers that say, no, tongues are not for today. Why? Because it's a non-essential issue. If you want to meet with me about tongues, you're going to get about a 10-minute meeting. And seven minutes of that, I'm just going to ask you how you're doing. It's a non-essential issue. I'm not going to fight about it. Now, if you want to meet about if Jesus Christ is Lord, yeah, you're going to get all day, and a size 10 and a half at you, right? And that's just me being a good, loving pastor. It's a non-essential issue. But why we're on the topic? Because we read Acts 2, and we see that and think, oh, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit bringing tongues, and tongues are for today. Just skip on by that verse and see the fullness of Acts chapter 2. Because a lot of times I get questions, or especially now with the uh, joys of video and reels and Instagram, people will send me some videos and they'll see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they say, do you believe this is real, Pastor? What do you think about some of these things? And you see uh, different uh, external expressions of an overflow of the Holy Spirit. But if you go back to Scripture, and that's always what I do, I'm going to go back to Scripture. And if we look at Acts 2, if we look at the rest of it, which we know that's an absolute real outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what do we see? We see Peter with boldness stand up and preach Christ, Christ crucified. We see repentance among the listeners, and we see salvation. That's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I haven't ticked to some of you off enough, let's do it one more time. 
The only people, again, go back to Scripture. Always bounce everything off of Scripture. The only people who shook and convulsed and all that in front of Jesus were demon-possessed. Hurts, but I'm going to tell you how it is. And so praying in the Spirit, the tongues part, non-essential issue, but prayer is absolutely essential to the health of our spiritual walk and to the health of the church. And so this Thursday, May 4th, all you Star Wars fans, may the 4th be with you. You'll see, you'll never forget it right there. May 4th is the National Day of Prayer. And so Calvary is going to be open at 8 a.m., and we're going to keep the doors open all the way until 7 p.m. And we have the prayer team and different staff that are going to come in every hour, and we're going to have prayer prompts. We're going to have a prayer guide, and we invite you guys to come and pray on the National Day of Prayer. And you might, hey, if you can give five minutes before you go to work, come and pray for five minutes. If you can come and pray for half hour on your lunch, come and pray a half hour with us. If you can come pray an hour, come pray an hour. You can come in, you can pray by yourself, or if you see a friend and you want to pray out loud and in a group, rock on and we will allow that as well. But if we look at the state of not just the nation and the world, but even of the church, I'm thinking it's a good time to call the church back to prayer. Now, if you're really busy, and I understand that, or if you live a ways away, pray. Isn't it beautiful that we can do those spiritual disciplines outside of these walls? That we could live out our faith outside on Monday through Saturday? It's not just a Sunday morning thing here. And so take some time Thursday and pray. Well, pastor, what should I pray for? Whatever the Lord puts on your hearts. But pray. Intercede on the behalf of your brothers and sisters. Intercede on whatever the Lord puts on your heart. But prayer is absolutely an essential to the health of our spiritual walk. And I want us as Calvary Chapel not just to be spirit-filled, but I want to be spirit-led. And being full of the Holy Spirit isn't about how high you jump or shake or all that. It's about obedience to Jesus. It's how straight that we walk. And that matters. Why? Because the next thing that he tells us is to keep yourselves in the love of God. You're not going to be able to do that on your own power and ability. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to keep you in the love of God. Another way you could put it is to keep yourself in harmony with God's love. See, there's a rhythm to God. You could study the days of creation. There's a rhythm to it. Even Moses going before Pharaoh, there's a rhythm to what would happen and where he would meet him. You could study uh, the Jewish feast. There's a rhythm about those. You could study the Gospels. Even to Jesus, there's a rhythm about them. And we are called to keep in harmony with God's love. Now, I know nothing about harmony because I don't sing. It's not that I don't. I can't whatsoever. It's not a spiritual gifting I was given, and I'm not even going to try to prove it to you because it's that bad. And even if I was singing and somebody was like, oh, you're right on harmony with that, I don't even know what that means. But we know God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And when I sing, it sounds like a lot of chaos. But a lot of times that's our lives. When everything is in chaos and everything's going crazy and we feel like we're drowning because we're not in harmony with God. We're stepping out from him. And see, prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit, is a call for us to realign our lives with God's rhythm, God's harmony. See, the Lord says, I don't change. 
And so if you're out in chaos, it's because you have left me. And I love that old hymn, Come Thou Fount, where he says, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I'm prone to do that. There's times like, I don't want to do that, Lord, I want to do this. Or, no, I really, I really don't want to do that. Like, is there anything else? Like, I'm prone for that in me, but I need the power of the Holy Spirit to say, no. You, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Realign your lives to the harmony of God's love. And then lastly, we're waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. And you're probably thinking, I thought he was talking to saved people. So I'd like, what kind of mercy are we waiting on? This is a description of biblical hope, an attitude of expectation that infiltrates every area of our lives. Right, And so it's not the mercy of salvation. Jude is already talking to believers, but he's talking about the mercy of deliverance. That we see this brokenness, and us as the church knows that Jesus is coming back. He is returning for us, and that is the mercy of deliverance to pull us, not just his word and his life and death on the cross and the resurrection to pull us out of our sin, but he is going to return and pull us out of this world of sin before he brings his wrath, hence Revelation. But we are waiting on the mercy of God, the mercy of deliverance. And so when the world looks at us and they're like, why are you building yourself up in the word of God? Why are you praying? Why are you keeping yourself in the love of God? Like, what are you waiting on? Why are you doing these things? Our response, I'm expecting Christ at any moment, and I want to be ready. I did a wedding yesterday. Guess what time the wedding started? You know, pretty nice day. Some people are like, you know, maybe a 3 o'clock wedding, nice, you know, later afternoon, maybe 4 o'clock, kind of early before the evening, or maybe you did a 5 o'clock wedding. You have dinner right after. You got to think about those practical things if you're getting married soon. You know what time the wedding started? When the bride was ready. <laughs> the clock meant nothing. And that's okay because that is her day. So me and the groom are standing there. The groomsmen are hanging out. The bridesmaids are hanging out. When's this wedding going to start? When the bride is ready. That's when this is going to start. And as I was reading through my notes this morning, I just heard the Lord say, Nick, are you ready? Are you ready if I came back today? Are you ready? Or are you living in a way that you're not building yourself up? You're not praying like, I want to see you praying. I'm not seeing you keeping yourself in, the, in my love. Are you really ready for this? And this is just me processing. I just wonder sometimes, is, is the Lord tearing because the bride isn't ready for the marriage? And so it's a call, I think, from Jude when he wanted to write about our common salvation. Build yourself up in the word. Be a man and a woman of God of prayer. Keep yourself in the love of God. Whatever struggles that you have, fill it with the grace and the mercy and the love and the truth of Jesus. And wait for his return. He is not blind. He is not deaf to whatever you're going through. I'm just going to be honest. It's been a week this week. We've had families lose their whole house to a house fire. We've had Boys survive a horrible car accident. 
We're doing a celebration of life service after service this Sunday. It's been a week. But Jesus is still on the throne. And when he stands up to exit that throne, I know he's coming home to take me home to be with him. And so I'm waiting upon him. And so what do we do while we still wait? Build ourselves up in the word. Be a man, woman, a God of prayer. Keep ourselves in the love of God. And we wait for him. Are you ready? Pray with me. Father, we love you. We trust you. And we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have not left us. You have not forsaken us. But as those that are beloved, experiencing your love, you have filled us with your Holy Spirit. You have given us your word. And I pray that we would be your bride, ready for you, built up in your word, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping ourselves in the love of God. Lord, I pray that would be the marks, that would be the armor, that would be the call to action upon us. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. As always, we have a prayer team. Spurlings would love to pray with you and for you. Other than that, go love God, love others, impact the world, and we'll see you next week for Letter to Patmos.